0: Welcome to Policed in Ireland, the podcast that seeks to capture the experiences people have with the police. I'm Dr Vicky Conway and I'm passionate about listening to people from all different walks of life about how they experience our police on Garda Síochána.
1: And the guards just kind of pulled in and just immediately like got out of the car and grabbed the boy who was like 16 at the time. And just was shouting abuse into his ear and calling him a gypsy and a scumbag. And I don't know what he done wrong to deserve that for
0: the old male guards like, you know. This week, we're hearing from a teenage sister and brother who live in Donegal, just outside a sizable town. We won't be using their real names, but Orla is 17 and her brother Brendan is 14. They're going to tell us their experiences of being policed on a day to day basis and the levels of stop-and-search they endure. We're going to talk a lot about what stop-and-search is and what impact it has, aided by Dr. John Topping. We're also going to think about what we want the police to be doing and we'll talk to Professor Alex Vitali about the role of the police and the defund the police movement.
1: Well, usually they just perform a kind of stop and search kind of thing, just for whatever reason, you know, if you're kind of looking dodgy, or if you look rough that day, maybe, or if you're wearing tracks at bottoms or something. Most of the time, yeah, they kind of get to a stage where they're kind of getting a bit intimidating or something, if they're like, if they think they have something. I try to just keep it chill like and just stay relaxed and just like just kind of like go with it and kind of just like let them do their wee thing (laughs) because you there's like nothing I need to be worrying about like so just let them do their searches or let them do their
0: whatever you know stop and search is a very particular police power It allows the police to stop an individual on the street and search their persons and their belongings. It's often described by the police as a valuable policing tool to enable them to find drugs or weapons on the street, thus preventing crime. We'll get into the veracity of those statements in a bit. It might not seem like a particularly invasive power, but that's an easy position to adopt when you are not subject to it regularly. And if it doesn't feel like you're being targeted or continually targeted for no good reason. This has been an exceptionally controversial power in both the UK and the US, where racial and class bias are very evident in the data. Black people are seven or eight times more likely to be stopped and searched in the UK. There are far less public conversations about this power than elsewhere, possibly for a number of reasons. First of all, we have very little data on how often stops are conducted, and we certainly don't have breakdowns of ethnicity, age, gender, and so on, figures which are totally commonplace in England and Wales. It's very hard to talk about it when we know so little. Second, the powers are different here. They're much more diffuse. Rather than having one standard power which can be used, we have a wide range of powers to stop, stop and question, stop and search. Third, there haven't been many spaces for those who have experienced it to discuss it. An artist in residence in the Rialto Youth Project asked 60 young people to discuss a moment when they felt powerless a vast number of the responses concerned the Gardaí and Stop and Search. An exhibition was held and Trainee for Gardaí was developed, but unfortunately the crash put a halt to that. Whenever we do get to hear about it, what we hear is consistent. That those that are subject to repeated stops begin to feel highly resentful, they feel disrespected, they feel policed, they feel targeted, they distrust the police. They begin to distrust the state. This is serious and so we need to listen to these experiences and listen to what it means for these young people. The European Court of Human Rights has ruled that a stop and search inherently involves an invasion of your right to privacy and so if the state is going to do it, they have to put the proper laws and safeguards in place to ensure that your rights aren't actually being breached. I'm 40 and I've never been stopped and searched by the guardie on the street. A couple of road checks sure, but never just walking down the street. That's not the experience of Orla, who is 17. In the last
1: year, maybe five or six. That's not that much, so.
0: She described in detail her most recent experience with the gardie which just happened a week before we recorded. A week ago
1: or so? I was like walking with my boyfriend. But he was just coming out, going out for like a rollie because he like smokes, and we were like on our way back home. And these two guards pull up. They were two like woman guards, and then I was I was kind of thinking like, oh, they're woman guards. They, they might not be like pure dickheads or something. They might just be sweet like, oh, you know what are you what are you doing out at this time? And we're like, oh, we're just walking out for like, and he's having a smoke like. And then they're like, "Oh well, we're gonna conduct a search anyways because we think you look dodgy," and we're like, "Right, okay, go on ahead." Like, and then they searched us, and then they find nothing. But they still kinda, they were still kinda like nagging. They're still just being like, "Oh, well, what were you doing out at this time?" And no. all, and we were like, "We're literally just out for a smoke." Like, we he he literally had the smoke still in his hands. Like, when they were searching our pockets, they found like money in my boyfriend's pockets, and it was like i don't know it was his dough money and i think there was only like 70 or there or something like and they're just like oh oh what's that for and he was like oh that's my dole." and they're like oh what are you planning on spending that on and he was just like um oh, well i need to give rent to my mom later and um i don't know yet why like and they're like oh so why do you have it out with you now like why do you have it out with you now and he was like well i didn't like like you know i was literally just out for a smoke like you know Um, they took, they took the phone and then they wouldn't give the phone back because it was his mum's phone. And then, and then they are trying to say that like, maybe like, is the phone stolen or something? Like, because it wasn't his, you know? So they're like, oh, well, is it your mum's phone? So if I take it back to her house now, you know, she's gonna, she's gonna be able to unlock it. And he was like, yeah. And they're like, oh, really? We're, we're gonna go over here now with the phone then. He was like, Right. And then they get in the car with the phone and they're just like looking out the window. And then he was checking his pockets. He was like, oh, did did you give that money back? Because they had taken it off him and they were both handling it like, and the woman guard she pure leans out the window and starts saying, what are you trying to say? She was like, she literally said, what are you trying to say? Are you trying to say I stole your money? Are you, are you? Like talking as if she's some kind of street thug or something like the guards started going, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to say? And I was like, I was so shocked. I was like, what the hell? Like, why is she speaking like that? Like, you know, she was like, you're away with the fairies. You're, um, I, I, I never took your money. Are you trying to say I stole your money, and you know? all? And he was like, he was like, no, no. He was like, I never, I never said that. He was just like, I was just asking if you had remembered to give it back because you couldn't find it. She was like, tell me again. Are you trying to say, did I stole your money? Are you? Are you? And she kept saying, are you? Are you? And he was like, freaking out, checking his pockets, like, oh my God, like, okay, sorry. He was like, sorry, you know? And then he found it then, and then he was like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. And he was like, oh, I, just, I just didn't know I had that, you know, I forgot I had that pocket or whatever. She was just like, she was like, I watch yourself. And then she drove on, and we went back over to the house then, and the carriage were just standing outside with his mum. You know, with the phone, like you know, they're like, oh. So they actually went and brought the. Phone yeah, they're right? like, we're unlocking this phone now. And, you know, we're unlocking this phone now, and they unlocked the phone. She was like, go ahead, like, and then they just, just like, you know, whatever. They just like read some messages, and they were just like, right, that's okay. Gave the phone back. Uh, they were like, oh you watch yourselves walking around in dark places in the night. Or I don't know what she said, but it was something pure like walking around at this time of the night.
0: COVID appears to have only made this worse.
1: I just seen them kind of stopping people like left, right and centre, you know. I just remember going to the shop and just I'd see someone get searched or something. Or I was like, like, I remember I got stopped a few times like within the two kilometres of like where I lived like and like, or like even closer than two kilometres, like less than a kilometre, they just stop you like if they've seen you walking about just because they knew they could because of the virus and all. Like, what are you doing out and blah, blah, blah. And It was as if they are just like, nice to one, here's an excuse to stop anyone now. Didn't seem like they cared about the virus at all. It was just kind of like their chance to like get people or something
0: for no reason for just leaving their houses or going to the shop. She's witnessed quite violent encounters, which bring up similar themes as we've seen before, particularly around mobile phones.
1: It was, like, Halloween or something, and, like, we were all kind of walking along this, like, estate, and, like, there was just a big crowd of people, 10 or 12 or something, just a load of... Just a big group, like... We were just walking along the road, and, like, these guards stop us because, they're, like, they're like, oh, what are you doing and are you drinking and whatever, you know... You know, guards doing their like patrol on Halloween. Like, one of the guards just like, or the guards came out and they just kind of start chatting to the group of people. And I just kind of like walked on. I was like, oh, I just know that I'm gonna get searched and I'm gonna get stopped and they're gonna chat to me. And it's just annoying. So I just was like, whatever. I just walked onto the crowd as if I was never in the crowd. Like, you know, I just started walking away and then they're they're ch- they're chatting away to them people like the group of people and they're kind of getting like all cheeky with them and kind of all the guards were like, and then they started getting all rough with this one boy. And then, and he wouldn't be a traveler, but he would be kind of like, not, he wouldn't have much money like, and his family might have like a bad word for themselves in the town or whatever, but he's like really nice. But anyways, they start getting all cheeky with him and trying to, kind of like trying to annoy him and kind of trying to widen him up and stuff. And then they started getting all rough and started, ho- started grabbing him. And then he took out his phone and started videoing them. And they were like, they had him grabbed and they were like, had him by the neck and all. And they were pure being rough with him and grabbing him. I don't know, they just like put him up against the fence by his neck and all. And then he was like videoing them and they were like, they were getting even more rough then, trying to take the phone off them. And then eventually they just kind of got a hold of him and then they took the phone off him. And then when they had the phone, they made, they were like shouting at him, telling him that he had to unlock the phone. And he didn't want to unlock the phone and they kept um, pulling him around and stuff. They were like, oh, unlock it, just unlock the phone. And they unlocked the phone, deleted the video and then, just, like, kind of sent him on, just as, like, whatever, you know, and they just left.
0: He must have been pretty shook
1: up by that. Yeah, he was pretty upset about it.
0: Her brother Brandon, who is just 14, has also had such experiences.
2: So I was up at the, like, square area around, around, like, nine o'clock. I was sitting there with three other boys. I just sat down and I was talking to them, I was waiting on somebody else. Then guards came around the corner, and then they just, you know, seen us up there, you know, they were like lovely, turned up, you know, pulled in, started talking to us, asking us, you know, what we're doing and stuff. You know, we were just like sitting there talking, you know, and then they were about to send us on our way, and then uh, one of the boys, um he left uh like a weed granger there, so then they were all like... Then they, then they stopped us from walking away. And then they started, like, getting our, you know, information and stuff.
0: At this point, the guardie want to determine who owned the weed grinder. It's not illegal to own a grinder, but Guardi may interpret it as a reasonable suspicion of unlawful drug possession.
2: You know, after a while, since nobody would really say anything, like, nobody was going to say who owned it. Because nobody, nobody does that kind of thing, like... Uh, so then they took us all up, and they were kind of being very, like, aggressive and pushy with the boy that was the same age as me. He's he's a bit smaller than me, but, like, he hates a lot of abuse from guards. One of them was getting on to him because one of his cousins in, like, Belfast had, like, a charge for assaulting someone. And they were, like, giving him abuse over that, even though it's the other side of the country. They were pushing him around a bit. And he was just kind of like trying to get into the car, you know. We didn't want them to do anything like. So whenever we were driving up, I remember I uh, I was getting called like over and over from my stepmom. I was sitting beside a guard at that point, and then there was the youngest boy sitting on the other side of the guard. This is in the back of a paddy wagon. <laughs> uh, so then. Uh, and I said, can I answer this? And then he was like, no, no, we're going to call your parents whenever we get into the station anyway. So then we got there, and then they put everybody in different rooms because apparently we were taken up on, like, suspicion of having stuff on us. So then they took us up to search us. That was, that was why they took us up. Uh, and then they, they never even searched me. They just made me empty out my pockets one of them brought me into a room with this lady and she was actually quite nice you know she was just asking me questions like you know getting a rerun of all the information off me and then they sent me back to the room and then a guard came in and he sat in front of me and then he was talking to me for a while and just asking me a bunch of questions like firing as many at me you know and then another guard came and she was a real dick, you know? She was, like, being way more, like, pushy with me, and she'd already, like, spoken to all of the other ones. I think I I think I was the last person that they spoke to.
0: Orla and Brendan have an older brother who's been in trouble with the police quite a bit. They feel this gets used against them.
2: Since they knew who my brother was, they were kind of, like, they were jumping to a lot of conclusions, really,
0: mm-hmm.
2: about where stuff could have come from. After being there for about f- forty-five minutes or so, then I—I I heard one of them. Uh, this the boy that was the same age as me. He was leaving. I seen him through the door with his dad, I think. So I was like, "Oh, finally!" So like, my son's gonna be here now, or dad's gonna be here or something, you know.
0: By now, Brendan has been questioned by three different guardies without a parent or a guardian present as should happen and without being offered a solicitor. No criminal proceedings followed, though he was grounded and a friend believes there's still something on pulse about him.
2: I actually was uh, talking to one of the boys. I was talking to him about it a few weeks ago. He actually said that they still have it marked down because one of the boys had two bags of kitchen herbs. Um, and they still have it marked down as cannabis, two bags of cannabis.
0: And even when they do act respectfully, it's not unproblematic. On a different occasion, Brendan encountered police after illegal fireworks had been set off.
2: The first patrol that came up, they they were quite nice. You know, they were just very, like, respectful. I'm pretty sure they were new, though. So they probably didn't really know how guards are Around here, you know? They were the only instance where I've seen guards being like, like polite to you, but they want to know if you've done something wrong at the same time, you know? Mm. They never, like, they never asked to, like, look through my bag or anything. They just said, like, um, they were like, uh, do you know who was setting off the fireworks? And I was like, ah, oh, I wasn't really around, you know? I was, but I was just lying to them, like, because I don't want to talk to them, you know? And then, whenever the second patrol came up, it was, it was just two absolute dicks, like, you know, they, they had nothing to hide. They were, like, presenting their hatred to us. Or hatred towards us, to us.
0: You felt hated?
2: Kinda, Like, felt like they just look looked down upon us as, like, all of us are scumbags or something.
0: The Misuse of Drugs Act is a very commonly used provision which permits a search where a guard with reasonable cause suspects that someone is in possession of a controlled drug. The Firearms Act of 1925 permits stop and search of any person whom a guard a suspects with reasonable cause to be in possession of a firearm or ammunition, knife or realistic imitation firearm. So for both of these powers, the guardie must have suspicion and that suspicion must be reasonable. Other provisions under the Offences Against the State Act don't require reasonableness.
3: I think traditionally in the North we've been very concerned with counter-terrorist type powers.
0: Dr John Topping of Queen's University Belfast has been researching stop and search in Northern Ireland.
3: Nobody had ever really looked at all at ordinary stop and search powers as you might see uh, on the streets. So uh, this is something I had managed to dig into and very quickly it became apparent that uh, the PSNI were very much out of step with that which was going on in England and Wales in terms of the sheer volume uh, of use around ordinary stop and search powers and also in terms of the outcomes or I suppose more accurately the lack of outcomes that of all stop and searches in Northern Ireland do not result in an arrest.
0: So just 5% result in an arrest, fewer again in charges and convictions. And this invariably targets young people more.
3: The other sort of side to, to the coin has been the, the impact and effect on children and young people in particular. You know what we know with the PSNI about sixty percent of all stop and searches are done on people of twenty-five years old and under, uh, and it, it is, uh, as we know from all the social scientific evidence, you know, it, it has a net negative effect on police community relations. It's a confrontational par. It can be antagonistic, and the other thing is it's also very difficult to accurately monitor now while PS and I might record stop and searches a uh, bit like you know ordinary crime that there's always a dark figure there's always the unseen level happening so I think that's very much a case with stop and search as well because of course young people by uh, lifestyle are generally more visible on the streets you know they tend to be seen you know that age old issue which goes back to Shakespeare and beyond of you know young people's behaviours and you know we see that very much in terms of suppose you might call it the the, the science of hanging out if you want young people we know from any of the evidence you know value actually street public street space leisure time you know for friendship for solidarity for entertainment and that is uh, you know not not at all uh, criminal but you know when people and the police see groups of young people of course it's very easy to draw the wrong um, the wrong conclusions. So uh, you know young people have always been a focus of, uh, of the criminal justice system uh, and of course if you're a young person um, you know in terms of your rights, in terms of how you perceive the police, that uh, very differential power dynamic that there is between a police officer and a 15 or a 16 or a 17 year old uh, who doesn't actually know what rights they're entitled to when they engage with a police officer around stop and search. So, uh, you know, those are very real issues. We have the the Young Life and Time Survey in Northern Ireland and that's a a representative survey of all 16-year-olds across the north and we find, you know, very significant problems with stop and search in terms of, first of all, not understanding their own rights, uh, in terms of lack of recording, in terms of stop and search being seen variously as a form of harassment, as a form of abuse, as a power dynamic, so all those things are very real and I think, you know, it's very easy to get lost in the statistics and, you know, Percentages. Well, actually, these are very real, lived experiences for young people, and they have long-term effects in terms of, of police-community relations.
0: Orla has seen this, and how members of the traveller community can get it particularly tough.
1: One time, when I had bumped into some person, it was running around the street in a matter, but I had, like, known them from the town... I, don't, I wouldn't really, like, speak to this person. Like, I wouldn't really, like, spend time with them or anything. But, like, I just knew them. But, like, they were, you know, popping about, you know, the street. And then these guards pull up. He was just walking kind of along, just kind of minding his own business. And the guards just kind of pulled up, like, a, just from around the corner, just unexpected, just kind of pulled in and just... They just immediately, like, got out of the car and grabbed the boy who was, like, 16 at the time and they just, like, pushed him into the guarda car and pushed his head into the thing bashed his head into the glass of the car, like, and just was shouting abuse into his ear and calling him a gypsy and a scumbag and I don't know what he done wrong to deserve that but he was underage, and you know, he was too male male guards, like, you know, so surely that's not the force of that. It's not great on someone very young. They tend to target travellers or people with, like, less money or,
0: you know, not same saving them or whatever. One of the things that made me sad talking to Orla was how she'd learned to adjust her behaviour so as not to aggravate the guardie. Just because, like, they just
1: do the same thing every time, anyways, so you may as well just, like, learn to live with it, like, do your own wee thing back, like, just, you know, whatever, go on ahead, you know, just let them do what they want because they're just wasting, like, their own time, you know.
0: And what do you think would be the response if you said, no, I don't want you to search my bag, or... They'd probably just, like, they probably just wouldn't give a shit. like. I would do it anyway. Yeah. Orla has rights in this situation. If the Garda want to stop you, they need to have a power to do so. It's perfectly lawful to say, okay Garda, under what power are you stopping me? And they should reply informing you of the law they are invoking. But Orla's a bit beaten down, thinks that will make things worse, so no longer tries and just goes along with it. And even then, even when they do their best not to aggravate the situation, it can still feel invasive and disrespectful. He
1: was just walking down the street. They got an open, and the guards stopped him. And they were asking him questions and asking to search him. And he was like, he was agreeing and saying, right, okay, you know, go ahead. And they were they were rushing for him to take his jumper and his coats off, and kind of nagging at him. They were telling him hurry up and pushing him and kind of putting pressure on. And he like they kind of shouted at him, telling him to hurry up and everything, and he was taken off his jumper and it ripped over his head all the way down to his chest. And they just, like, just didn't really care much. He was really annoyed idea, yeah. because um, it was just, like, his something nice he had, like, that got
0: destroyed, like. Orla is really clear that people are being stereotyped by the police.
1: We just never see guards kind of stopping people wearing a suit or whatever. You know, you wouldn't see the guards bothering them, but if, like, their appearance kind of comes across as maybe rough or maybe as
0: if they don't have this, that much money, they tend to target them type of people. A further ground which she perceives as causing discrimination includes having a family member who may have been in trouble with the Gardaí.
1: They see it as, like, If he's bad, then I'm "I'm bad too, or something, you know. And you either like start asking me all these questions, or like trying to like kind of antagonize or something. All of
0: this leads to very negative feelings about guards. They're kind of useless enough, (laughs) or don't think that they are focusing
1: on the right things. Maybe
0: would you trust them? Like, would you go to them if you
1: had a problem? Uh, probably not. No. No.
2: They don't treat you like equals. They they treat you like they know that you've you done something wrong the second they look at, into your eyes like. They're also, they're always very pushy as well. They're never like, they're never, you know, just polite. Mm. They never feel like they're working for us. They feel like they're working to get us like. You know. Everybody fucking hates the guards, like. Everybody that I know, like. Except for, like, people that would be like, they have relatives that are guards or something.
0: John Topping is very clear on what this means.
3: What we know from from PSNI data is, in fact, that the the majority of ordinary stops and searches are done under drugs legislation. So what what we're actually seeing is the the use of drugs legislation to target young people for low level drug possession. And while that may be some viable policy in the in the justice world, actually, the reality is, you know. Drugs are not being found on young people through the medium of stop and search. So you might, I suppose, more accurately describe stop and search as a as a gateway par through which to control and coerce uh, young people. And you know the the, the evidence has been there uh, for the police service of Northern Ireland for you know over a decade. And various pieces of research show that this is what young people think. So it's a, I suppose you might describe it as a slippery par as well, because of course uh, w- what we again know is that most stop and searches are done in in urban locations uh, they tend to be more concentrated in places of, that suffer from socioeconomic marginalization so and also uh, less so in for example city centers it tends to be concentrated in for example you know housing estates or, or other areas away from what would generally be publicly visible so yeah it, it is a it's a hidden par uh, but nonetheless it doesn't make it uh, you know any any better of an experience for the young people.
0: John's assessment is that energy will be better spent elsewhere by the police.
3: I think when you look at all the statistics and all the, the, the metrics of success, um, it is not a good use of police time. It's not a good use of police authority. Uh, certainly the evidence around stop and search as a, as a, as a crime-fighting tactic absolutely does not stack up. And as I said before, we know it overall has a net negative uh, effect. Uh, and when it is used repetitively, in certain locations, because we have to remember it's not a a random power, it is concentrated and usually requires reasonable suspicion, it does tend to be concentrated on particular sections of society in particular areas Uh, and, you know, you don't need to look too far back in history to the Brixton riots of 1981, to the London riots of 2011, Uh, you know, in in those instances stop and search was cited as a very significant uh, factor in terms of aggravation uh, and discord uh, towards the police and and the breakdown of police-community relations.
0: It might sound like a huge leap to go from a stop and search on the street to the Brixton riots, But this is what the evidence tells us time and again. Stops have an entirely minimal impact on crime rates, but a massive impact on how the communities that are subjected to them feel about the police. I asked Orla what she thought needed to change.
1: I don't know, maybe like changing the system or something, or changing what guards are allowed to do, you know. And what they can and can't do, like, or maybe just setting more rules in place or something. Because if there's more rules on the people than there is kind of on the guards, a lot of them, they just seem to go on as if like the rules don't apply to them as well or something. You know, I think they shouldn't be allowed to stop and search unless they have like a proper reason. Like, they shouldn't be allowed to like put their hands on anyone. Unless, like, maybe that person is getting violent with them or something. But, like, I feel like they shouldn't be allowed to, like, touch anyone.
0: Unless, like, they really need to. What Orla describes here is already the case. They need the power to stop you. And they should only use force when necessary.
1: Like, get rid of all the guards and maybe, like, put in
0: some kind of new security... I tried to explore further what she meant here and asked if she thought we could reform the police to the point that people could trust them.
1: Maybe start again, you know, because it's just kind of... Everyone kind of hates the guards, like, so they may as well just get rid of them and do something else because, I mean, there's no point fixing the guards now because they've already already dug their hole too deep now. People already kind of hate them for all the things that
0: they keep doing, like even in, like, other countries, like... Stop and search has been at the heart of the worst moments in British and American policing. And we're hearing from Orla and Brendan about how it's left them feeling about the police. We don't know how often it's being used in Ireland, but anyone who speaks to young people in socioeconomically disadvantaged areas will hear a worrying trend. It has led Orla to say that we should be getting rid of police. This isn't a naive or childish view for anyone who's dismissing it. It's actually at the heart of the movement in the States to defund the police.
4: It's so crystal clear in the United States now how we have turned every societal problem into a problem of crime to be solved by policing.
0: Professor Alex Vitale is coordinator of the Policing and Social Justice Project at Brooklyn College and author of The End of Policing
4: mass homelessness, mass untreated mental health and substance abuse problems, widespread economic precarity that has driven people into black markets of drugs and sex work and stolen property. We've got school failures and and breakdown uh, of family stability and all those problems have been reframed as problems of crime that will only respond to intensive and aggressive policing. And then when that policing is violent, racially discriminatory, excessive, we are told that the solution to that is to give the police more money for more training, more professionalization, uh, more body cameras and oversight mechanisms, all of which deflects us from these larger questions of why have we produced mass homelessness and just allowed it to occur without any real political conversation. Neither of our political parties in the states is saying one word about the fact that there are millions of people without a stable place to live in the United States that the way we fund education is so fundamentally unequal that it produces this tremendous burdens on teachers on students that then get expressed as disciplinary problems which then get addressed by filling the schools with police
0: applying this to this context we might say that the issues of how teenagers engage with society are being converted into policing matters Young people are simply hanging out, but perhaps in underprivileged areas, they can't do that in a friend's house, so they do it on the street. And this gets converted from standard behavior to antisocial behavior, and the police are called. And over time, police start to assume that kids on the street are up to no good.
4: So the end of policing is not an effort to think about how can we do policing better it's a cry it's a demand that we think about how we can address societal problems without relying on essentially violence workers because that's really what distinguishes police from other governmental workers is that authorization and capacity to use force whether backed up by the law or not and so Policing should always be understood as an inherently problematic tool that should always be the tool of last resort.
0: We've heard this a few times from young people on this podcast. Orla and Brendan have both discussed the levels of violence by police that they have witnessed. And we remember when Oscar told us in an earlier episode of the quite extreme force used on him before he got to the police station.
4: But unfortunately... In the US and increasingly throughout Europe, policing is becoming the tool of first resort for just a growing number of social problems. You know, the Irish public has been told that the only tool that's available to produce public order is police. But that public order was originally a public order that served English colonial interests. And then with independence, those structures really remained unchanged and unchallenged and just got transported to the benefit of the new political leadership of Ireland that has been allowed to sort of continue this underfunding of the social safety net.
0: If you're in a mental health crisis in Ireland, it is invariably the police that will respond rather than medics because of the capacity to use force and because of availability.
4: So police are authorized and outfitted to use force in a way that other public employees are not. You know, a sanitation worker, if your car is like blocking the street, is not allowed to drag you out of the car and arrest you they have to call a police officer if they need that done. A public health worker does not tackle people on the street for not wearing a face mask. If that work is needed, they call a police officer. So when we say something is a police problem, the standard narrative is, oh, well, that means a law needs to be enforced. But that's not actually the case. There are lots of administrative ways of enforcing the law, A police officer is called when we need that implicit threat of violence. Even if an officer is not carrying a gun, they are capable and authorized of enacting violence, even if it is just, you know, barking a command at someone that's backed up by the threat of, or we will tackle you, we will take our baton out, we we will pepper spray you, we will use a taser or whatever.
0: Alex is very firm in his view that reform does not work.
4: No, we've seen this so clearly in the U.S., right? After the uprising in Ferguson, the police killing of Eric Garner, we were told that policing was going to get reformed. The Obama administration issued this task force report with all these amazing recommendations Now, many things were not enacted, but some cities like Minneapolis embraced a huge array of these reforms. The officers that were involved in the death of George Floyd had had implicit bias training, had had mindfulness training, had had de-escalation training, were wearing body cameras, were operating under a new use of force policy that emphasized sanctity of life had to deal with the new requirement that that officers intervene if they saw one of their colleagues engaged in misconduct, and and none of it made any difference. This training is disconnected from the reality of the police mission, so that when when we tell the police in the United States that they're waging a war on drugs and a war on crime and a war on gangs and a war on terror and a war on Mm -hmm. immigrants, you know there's going to be violence, there's going to be racism, and there's going to be demeaning behavior. And to think that we can fix this with some implicit bias training is a way of actually sweeping the political responsibility for these problems under the rug. We need to ask instead why our elected officials have declared all these wars on the public. In a way that absolves them of responsibility for widespread drug overdoses, for widespread untreated mental health problems, for widespread homelessness, etc.,
0: instead of the state acknowledging that its policies have caused the social exclusion, they criminalize the behavior and place it in the hands of the police. What defund the police
4: means is that we need to revisit this decision of turning every social problem over to the police to manage and instead redirect the billions of dollars that go into policing into community-based strategies of actually addressing these underlying problems. And in the process, making communities actually safer than they are now. Because the reality is, is that policing is not particularly effective at producing public safety. And we have lots of examples of alternatives that really will work better.
0: A starting point in Ireland might be to look at the recent budgetary commitment to employ 1100 more people into Angarda Siakana, an increase of 8% that lacks any evidence basis, where instead We could employ more social workers or mental health workers or build more houses. The question is how do we want to respond to social problems by policing them or addressing the harms that lie beneath. The Commission on the Future of Policing was very clear on this. We need multi-agency responses to social problems. We should not always be calling the guards. Critically reflecting on what portion of our budget we want to spend on policing ahead of other essential less violent social services It's not in any way anti-state or anti-police. It's a form of social responsibility.
4: The solution to this isn't to make that surveillance and harassment more professional. It is to address what's driving the community problems in the first place that have caused us to turn these things over to police. To quit treating those very real problems as problems that only the police can address.
0: And they have tried considerable reform to stop and search in the UK, with very clear safeguards and monitoring put in place 20 years ago. But these procedural reforms achieve nothing. Disproportionate trends are not changing. It's still used in a really discriminatory manner. Have you ever known the guards to try and do something, like maybe to try and improve relationships with young
1: people? No. No, never.
0: In this episode, we've heard about the everyday experiences of two teenagers with the police in an Irish town. Their experiences have led them to have exceptionally negative feelings towards the guards. Neither of them have ever been arrested. Neither probably has a pulse entry. And yet encounters which don't merit recording have had this kind of impact on them. They and they say their friends hate the guards. For those who don't have such experiences with the police, it's difficult to empathize with that response, but it's real, that's how they feel. Their views are no less important or less real because of their age. It's essential that we see the variety of experiences people are having with the police, and that we question what role we want the police to play in society. A huge thank you to Orla and Brendan for talking about something we don't hear about often enough and to their mum who helped and consented to this. The context we get from Dr John Topping and Professor Alex Vitale has really helped to contextualise what's happening here. So thank you very much to them both. Alex's book is great if you want to think about these things more critically. Next week we speak to Joanna whose son Niall took his own life last year hours after he was released from guard of custody. In such awful circumstances, Joanna tells us about her family's experiences. As ever, please support us in bringing this content to you by subscribing on patreon.com forward slash Shack, recommending us to your friends and following us on Twitter at Policed Podcast. You might also want to check out Policed The Beat, our new short series that takes a look at immediate policing
3: events and activities.